Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Good and Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, will Hobbs and Shaw be fast and furious themselves? Just how good are the boys? And is it time to start taking Mixer seriously? All this and more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald Glassman from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our great programs. But it wouldn't be a PCC Multiverse without my good friend. He is our aspiring author with his brand new book that's already out right now as we're talking about it. It is congratulations, you suck. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. And on the air publicly, I just want to say I wish you all the best with the book, and I cannot wait to read it myself. Thanks, man. Yeah, I got to get so got to get those review copies out. But it's I, I'm wishing that I had a way to track how many people are buying it. But I, I guess there's no such software out there. So if you would be so kind, the listeners out there, pick it up. Let me know what you think, and I'd love to hear some feedback. Just give everybody a quick up-to-date on what it's all about, a little quick synopsis on why they should get Congratulations, You Suck, and delve in detail into what it means to you. Uh, it's something I've been working on for 10 years, probably, at least, and it kind of deals around mental health, heartbreak. It's a fictional novel. He's a, he's a writer, and his ex-girlfriend writes a book about how much he sucks, and she uses her fame as a blogger and as his ex-girlfriend to get this book published. And so he's got to deal with the repercussions of her publishing this book and how everyone in the small town where he lives hates him. And it's kind of like a coming of age story. But, you know, it to me, it's more the subject of mental health is really important to me. So that's what I'm writing about in this book a lot and how it, you know, it affects everybody differently. But if that's something you're into, I would recommend picking it up. You know, I, I might not have hit all the important issues, but I hit all the ones that I wanted to. So Pick it up, let me know what you think, and I would appreciate any feedback. Once again, that is Congratulations, You Suck. It's available virtually everywhere online as far as books are concerned. Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. You can get it all over the place. Just type it in on a Google search. It is Congratulations, You Suck. It is from my good friend, Josh Peterson. Go ahead and get it today. You'll be glad you did. But we are going to have a great show for you out there today. We're going to be talking Hobbs and Shaw because it hits theaters this weekend. Could this possibly be the best in the Fast and Furious franchise, even though it's not exactly a full part 
of the Fast and Furious franchise. Josh has almost gotten through The Boys. He's gotten through quite a bit of it. I've actually seen the entire series. I crammed my way through it as fast as I could, and I do have some thoughts on it. In fact, both of us do when it comes to Amazon series The Boys, which just came out. Plus also as well, there's a big change going on in the streaming community with a major name heading to a different format, one that was pretty much a joke for a while, Two years ago, Mixer hosted E3 conferences that year, and they were having some issues with it, so no one was really taking them seriously, but it sounds like now they're kind of turning into a big competitor. Yes, they are, and we'll explain why later in the broadcast, plus we'll also talk eSports with Evo in Las Vegas. We're going to be talking about the future of eSports. In fact, we're going to also weigh in with what's going on with the eSports scene. We're going to talk about if the esports scene is really at a level where it needs to be. In fact, this is just our yearly checkup on esports. We're going to go ahead and do that later in the broadcast as well. Going to go ahead and remember Harley Race, who passed away earlier this week as well. And then finally, we're going to talk about, but just before we head out the show, the NBA rivalry in video games and why you can't even really call it a rivalry at all. But first, my friend, I want to talk to you about Hobson Shaw It is this weekend. It's The Rock and Jason Statham. You and I have been privy as far as what we've investigated in the past as far as the issues in getting this movie made because there was a lot of angst, a lot of aggression against this movie being made, not by the studio, but by a certain individual member of the Fast and Furious team named Vin Diesel. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like really working with Vin Diesel at all uh, comes with its fair share of drama because there there were some reports of that back when uh, when Riddick came out, right? There were some reports of him not getting along too well with Carl Urban, which was interesting because Carl Urban seems like a really cool dude, and we'll talk about him later when we get to the boys. But it sounds like Vin Diesel is one of those people who he makes a lot of egotistical demands, and he wants things to be the way that he wants them to be. And we have all the star power. Like, I would even go as far as to say that, you know, The the Rock and Jason Statham both have a lot more star power than Vin Diesel does, especially these days. So it seems like Vin Diesel wants to be the face of this franchise. But, you know, when, when you have The Rock in there and Jason Statham, it sounds like them two, they don't want to bow to Vin Diesel's uh, will as much as Vin Diesel would like them to. So I, I can see all these clashing happening and perhaps it's better that they all went their separate ways. But I would hope that for the sake of, you know, the people, the fans and the people who pay money to go see this franchise, that they would eventually make up enough for them to all be on the screen at the same time again. I would hope so because it is in their best long-term interest. You and I both have heard that Fast and Furious 9 is already filming. It's probably not going to have The Rock or Jason Statham either or both in that particular film, but they should all come back by Fast and Furious 10. That's something that I think the series will need by that point in time. I think you can get away with not being a whole quote-unquote family, to use the term they love to use in the movies, and get away with it for Fast and Furious 9. But by the time Fast and Furious 10 comes out, because it's the 10th installment, supposedly, in the series, if you're not counting all the other side stuff that they've done, the shorts, the DVD extras, and then obviously Hobbs and Shaw as well, I would love to see them all come together for Fast and Furious 10 because I think that would be only fitting the way to honor exactly everything that's been done over the past films. When it comes to Hobbs and Shaw, I've told you point blank since that first trailer opened that I thought this was 
for me, the most entertaining of, uh, you know, that I've seen as far as the trailers leading up to it. I've never been excited about the Fast and Furious franchise. I've seen it. And immediately it's been one of those popcorn flicks where you just chew the popcorn throughout the movie. You see the nonsensical plot, which makes you really just go, oh, oh, oh. And you hear the acting that just makes you go, oh, uh, uh, uh. And then you just realize, you know what? I'm just here for the sheer insanity of the car stunts, which are always awesome. The vehicle stunts and everything else as far as the fighting, the action. I'm into that too. That's fine by me. I have no problems with that part of it. In fact, I have seen all the previous Fast and Furious installments. But to me, this looked like something that just really endeared itself to me. And maybe it's the fact that I appreciate Idris Elba. I appreciate as well Vanessa Kirby and also The Rock and Jason Statham. I, I just enjoy their work so much. Maybe this might be a magical group that might click with audiences to the point where this could be something that they set up on their own separate franchise. Yeah, that would be cool. And I, you know, the chemistry is good between The Rock and Jason Statham, but I don't think that the chemistry really has as much to do with why this film is going to appeal to so many people. I don't think the chemistry is going to have as much of an appeal as the fact that this movie is so aware of itself. You know, like Fast and the Furious started out as a serious movie. It started out as a drama or action film, whatever you want to call it, and then eventually rose into the realm of the ridiculous. But with Hobbs and Shaw, it's already in the realm of the ridiculous and they take it one step farther. So it's already very aware of what it is and what it's trying to be. And people are going to see it because of that, that type of character. And I think that it has the ability to do things that the fast and the furious franchise can't do outside of a spinoff film. Absolutely. And that's going to be the fun in watching it. Hopefully now, mind you, I've heard as far as the reviews are coming out that this is also a way over-the-top plot line. And when it comes to anything relating to the Fast and Furious series, I think that's what you're going to expect. But the interplay and the chemistry, like you said, between The Rock and Jason Statham seems to mesh so well in the previous installments they've been in together, but also as well during the course of this film, that at least what we've seen from the trailers seems to keep everything going along enough to the point where everybody's entertained. And yes, there's going to be the crazy overtop stunts, but to me, this could be the most entertaining of the Fast and Furious related films, simply because the fact is that that dichotomy, that chemistry between the lead actors and actresses, including Vanessa Kirby into this, and also Idris Elba, this could be a situation where it is so entertaining between those four that it could be better than anything that's been delivered by the Fast and Furious series to date, which again, as you and I have you know, gone over, let me ask you a question while I've got, I got this on my brain. Which has a more confusing timeline, the X-Men series or the Fast and Furious? Ooh, I would say X-Men probably just because they're dealing with uh, time travel a little bit more, but the Fast and the Furious is kind of all over the place. And I think that's just because they ran out of storyline so fast and they need to find new places to go with it. But uh, what, what is it in your opinion? I'm going to go with the fast and furious, my friend, because you know, if you don't watch all of them, somebody would say, why is Han here? Why did Han die there? Why is Han still alive here? I know there's an internet protest and, and grouping to try and get him reinstated or get him more love in future installments of the Fast and Furious franchise. And I know there's a reference to him in the actual Hobbs and Shaw movie, but yes, 
it's just not only that, but just the whole series has just been something that they haven't really cared about plot. They haven't really cared about cohesive timelines. They've only tried to go ahead and retcon things at certain points of time in order to try and keep things somewhat straight. But unless you've been following all of them, you're going to be lost on exactly if you tried to go ahead and kept focus on what is the Fast and Furious timeline. The X-Men timeline, it's not exactly much better. In fact, it's only you're talking to me in like a minutiae detail there. But still, I think it's at least a little bit teenier, closer, and more cohesive. Even if you miss one or two of them, you'll still be able to get a lot of what's going on with the X-Men franchise. Here, a lot of people just go ahead, if they've only seen one or two or not even any of the Fast and Furious before, they'll just go ahead and say, you know what? I'm just there for the crazy stunts, and that's it. You're not there for the acting. You're not there for the plot line. You're just there to go ahead and get me from point A to point Z when it comes to the crazy stunts and the crazy car chases. Well, I mean, I don't think a lot of people go to the Fast and the Furious franchise to see a good story. I think they go because of what you just mentioned. And and there's also like a B-grade horror movie aspect to it. Not horror movie per se, but like there's a a B-grade movie aspect to it where people are going just to see for shock value and for something to discuss. And they go in and they, you know, they come out talking about how terrible something was, but yet they still paid money to go see it. So Fast and Furious is doing something right, but is it the right thing that they're doing right? I'm not sure as well, my friend, but it is something that a lot of people are going to be going ahead to theaters this weekend for. It is expected to do right around the $60 million mark here domestically and close to $200 million worldwide. If it does that, then I think a lot of people would be happy. Those numbers are not comparative to the Fast and Furious, at least some the latest installments, the most recent installments of the Fast and Furious franchise. But still, it is something that should give a boost in the month of August, which I'm going to tell you, my friend, quite frankly, does not look that promising. We're going to be looking hard for subjects within the Hollywood and movie realm this month because to me... The movies of this month after this weekend are really not that strong. Yeah, I was actually wondering about that. There's not a lot slated to come out, right? Until. Well, we've talked about August being a bad month before. September is an even worse month, though, isn't it? Usually? Usually, but this time I think with it and Ad Astra and a couple others, September could actually fall out better than what August is doing. And remember, we've talked about this before in the past where. We've now deemed August as the new January. January has had opportunities with films in the past two, three years that have created good movies. Some of them have drawn really well. And when it comes to August, August seems to be a point where there's either no movement, no interest, or studios are just dumping their worst movies that they've got into that month now because they seem like a dead point. Kids are starting up a school, families are going back, focusing on that. They're not worried about the movies anymore. So it's a shame to see August as being thrown away like that. But there has been some good points at, you know, as far as with Guardians of the Galaxy and some other movies in August that have hit. You shouldn't give it up as a whole. But unfortunately, this point in time, after Hobbs and Shaw, It's going to be some tough sledding for moviegoers to find and reach and connect with a movie that's going to relate to a large audience. But we'll have to wait and see. We'll break it down for you as each weekend comes about. We'll we'll let you know if there's anything good that people are talking about when it comes to the theaters. 
We'll still keep you in touch with what's up to date and going on in the entertainment world. But this weekend, it is Hobbs and Shaw, and it is expected to do pretty good at the box office. And let's hope it will become its own good installment as part of the Fast and Furious franchise. What are your thoughts out there on Hobbs and Shaw? Please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Have you seen it already, or are you planning to go ahead and check out this latest installment, an offshoot, so to speak, of the Fast and Furious franchise? Let us know, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanica Media, and GameSource on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. But when we come back, we're going to be talking about the boys, Wolfenstein Youngblood. We're going to be talking about some esports, Ninja, NBA 2K, and a whole lot more coming up right after the break. This is the PCC Multiverse. Listen up, all you gamers out there. Miracle Fruit Oil is ramping up the deals on its awesome Vitabrace gaming wristband. Vitabrace is clinically proven to help improve your gaming performance. Vitabrace will help you achieve your gaming goals, whether it's that single-player campaign, retro classic, or battle royale. Head on over today to MiracleFruitOil.com, and if you use the code VITABRACE50, you'll get half off on a VITABRACE gaming wristband, or use the code BUYONE-GET-ONE, and it's buy one, get one free. That's right, just use the code VITABRACE50, or buy and the number one, get and the number one, today to get some great deals on some VITABRACE gaming wristbands. So check it out today at MiracleFruitOil.com. Vitabrace, win with it. All right, and we're back with the PCC Multiverse. It's Jiro coming right back at you here. My friend, you and I have checked out at least four episodes of The Boys. I got a chance to go ahead and burn through all eight. Your thoughts first on The Boys. How are you enjoying it? And comparatively speaking, of these anti-hero shows that have been out this year on many of the streaming services, could it be the best one yet? I think so. Like, I haven't ever watched anything like this, and I love what a complete slap in the face it is to Disney and Marvel, and how the, you know, just just at how unrealistic that their superhero model is, because the fact that somebody with powers like that and has their name all over the place and merchandise all over the place can go on and continue being 100% good and genuine, it seems very unrealistic, though maybe they can, but... You know, this just goes to show like what happens when superheroes succumb to human nature. And that's something that's always been fascinating. And it's something that Disney would never explore. But at the same time, Disney is kind of like the corporate entity pulling the strings of the Marvel heroes. And that's something I think that the the boys is painfully aware of what I I'm only on episode four. And I'm I'm really digging the character development so far because everybody seems to have a good motive for what they're doing. But I want to know, you know, I maybe they'll get to this in, in the end of the series, but like, what is Carl Urban's motivation for doing the things that he does? You know, like, why are all soups bad to him? And is there a place where they can coexist? And that's what I, I know you probably know more than I do, but I'm trying to get to a place where I can kind of, uh, you know, get this all figured out. And I'm, 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 I'm going to finish it before the end of the weekend. So I can get back to you on Sunday about this, but yeah, no, it's a, it's a great show and it's dark and it's gritty and it just it shows a side of superheroes that we don't get 
in like the Marvel films, but it feels more realistic to me than what is portrayed in the Marvel films. Yes, I have seen a little bit more than you have. I have finished the first season. And we've noted this before that the boys, even before it came out, has gotten so much advanced good word that season two was already greenlit before the first season came out, which is always a great sign. And I knew that going in that I thought it would be watching something very special. I will say this. I agree with you, Josh. It is the best anti-hero show on television this year. And that beats the Umbrella Academy, beats Deadly Class. It beats, it even beats Swamp Thing and Doom Patrol. And I know that's going to make a lot of people angry out there, but Doom Patrol is well thought of. It's been on a lot of best 10 lists as far as TV is concerned. But you know what? This, to me, is the best show as far as anti-heroes I've seen this year. And it will probably be on my best list. I'm not sure if it's the best yet because I've seen some stuff that's right around it. Well, I know it's kind of like a horse race right now, that, Chernobyl, and a couple others. So we'll have to wait and see for our end-of-the-year list where it falls. But it is something truly remarkable and there are a lot of twists and turns. I will tell you to be prepared for that. And I'm sure you already realized that that was going to happen already. But you do see the motivations of Carl Urban. He is really good in the role of Billy Butcher. But I think the best performance of them all, even though his is truly outstanding, is Anthony Starr's Homelander. The way he goes about things as the Superman in this type of superhero flick is just truly incredible the way he goes about it. Like you said, power corrupts. And with him, it's corrupted quite, quite badly. And it's just done some things that, that you're just be amazed that, that someone of his ilk or someone that's responsible for so much and can do so much good is not going to even come close to doing it or do it for his own purposes. And there's a lot of great supporting cast members in there. Again, Carl Urban has done a great job as the lead and as Billy Butcher trying to fight against these superheroes. Then you also have Jack Quaid, who is another hero playing Huey Campbell. But you know what? His relationship with Starlight, you know, it doesn't it doesn't get nauseating. It doesn't get too cute. It, it is what it is. And it provides a nice backstory and it helps flow the entire series as a whole. So it's not something that's annoying. It's something that people can see it as a benefit and also something that helps move the plot along into certain directions. Then you have Elizabeth Shue, who plays the mastermind of the agency that is helping to run these superheroes. And she does an outstanding job as well because she's not always on the up and up either. So there's so many great performances here. It is truly a satisfying watch indeed. And I I want to heartily recommend this show because it is going to be on my best list. I will rest assured because it is something that, sorry, Doom Patrol again, it is to me right now the best anti-hero show on television. We'll have to wait and see what The Watchmen brings up, but right now I'm going to probably say it's numero uno with me. Definitely enjoying it. I want to get to the end. I am not so stoked about The Watchmen. Just maybe I need to know more about it. Maybe I need to watch a few episodes. But The Boys almost feels like it's filmed in the same style as Zack Snyder's Watchmen. If you look at the colors, the way that the browns and golds are, are very dark and non-reflective in the cinematography. So I think they, they took a, a page out of you know the original Watchmen. But and that's good because it gives it the tone that it, that it really the on-screen tone that it really needs to portray what I feel the show is trying to do, which is 
to show that all all power corrupts and you know even the the best of the best of people fall victim to this you're exactly right on that and it's just like i said a very interesting look at how power can corrupt individuals no matter if you're super strong no matter if you're super fast no matter if you're super smart or if you're super rich and you're a big powerful company it's it does corrupt in so many ways but it is like i said the boys it's on amazon prime it's something you need to catch it does have a lot of adult content i want to give everybody a heads up out there it does touch on a lot of issues that are in today's environment as far as the me too movement but also as well a lot of other issues it touches upon which are uh, you know very adult in origin and also as well very controversial and it handles them i think in a very proper fashion and it does it, it's very relatable to what's going on in society today so if you want to get a chance check it out it's the boys again you got so far josh recommends it highly and i do as well if you get a chance and you watch the boys or if you watched even a couple episodes and you have some thoughts share it with us right here at pop culture cosmos on all of our social media and pop culture cosmos at yahoo.com as well well my friend before the first half hour ends i wanted to ask you real quickly wolfenstein youngblood came out last week i know you're cutting through it and I was going to ask about how you're enjoying it so far because I'm also way into the Wolfenstein mystique and I've played the first two major games in the in this rebooted series and I've enjoyed it immensely. And I'm, I'm just excited to go ahead and be getting ready to go ahead and play Wolfenstein Youngblood. But some controversy came up over the week in regards to some microtransactions rearing their ugly head again. Your thoughts on the microtransactions within Wolfenstein Youngblood, is it necessary? Does, is it needed? Is it something that you even bother with at all when you're playing Wolfenstein Youngblood? You know what? Okay, okay, so here's my thoughts on this. I was trying to, sorry, I was trying to look into what you're talking about. These are just extra things that you can buy that make the game easier. It's like when you go to, when you're playing Assassin's Creed, right, and you can buy the map packs that show where all the treasures are, you can buy new weapons and stuff. That's that's all this is. It doesn't, you know, you can play the game without it. You know, the game is still fun. It's still Wolfenstein. And for $30, it's not like you're, you know, it's half of what the original game would cost. It's just like a, a fun little return to the, the world of Wolfenstein. I, the microtransactions haven't really bothered me. They haven't become a thing that have really affected me yet because I'm still playing. I'm only three levels in, but it's not something that's really bothered me yet. What, I mean, what what are your thoughts on this? So you've probably done more research. I haven't really, I didn't really know that this was an issue until now. What seems to be the problem? Well, a lot of confusion, I think, took place as far as the messaging is concerned. If it's necessary or if it's not, as far as you need to go ahead and progress, I think for the most part, you do not need it. In fact, I didn't need any of the power-ups in either of the two previous installments of Wolfenstein. I never actually once crafted a weapon. I never did any special upgrades. I went through as far as best I can with the weapons I had. And if they told me I had an upgrade, then there you go. But I did not go out of my way to go ahead and craft or do an upgrade in the first two installments. And if this is supposed to be something that you're forced to do, which I don't think it looks like, that's fine. If it's not something you're not forced to do, but if it is something that's forced upon you at certain points of time in the game, then that's not cool at all. Especially like you said, after you've already forked over 40 bucks, but it just, I think the messaging, I think was the issue. 
that Bethesda had some certain messaging when they first talked about microtransactions within the realm of Wolfenstein Youngblood, and it got some mixed signals. And the ultimate answer, the ultimate decision that came down as far as how they're implemented into the game is actually different than what was talked about by the developers. So I think those mixed signals really caused a lot of confusion amongst gamers out there. And I think it's more confusion than outright outrage in regards to the microtransactions that have been implemented in the game. Okay, well, what I've noticed so far is that ammo is... So, you know, like in Wolfenstein 1 and 2, ammo is everywhere. You can pick it up wherever you go. And this one, ammo is a lot more scarce. So maybe that's where the microtransactions come in and where they're hoping to make money off of that. But at the same time, like, it's it's a Wolfenstein game. So, like, if you play it the way, you know, if you play it cautiously, you, you shouldn't really have to worry about that. But it's just... They're microtransactions that make the game easier, but Wolfenstein has never been like a super challenging or complicated game. It's just a fun world to go into. And I've liked what they did with the story, you know, and maybe I just haven't gotten to any parts where this is an issue yet, because I know that there are some insane levels where you're just kind of running and gunning and you do run out of ammo pretty quick. Maybe I just haven't gotten to those points yet, but this really hasn't become an issue for me yet. Well, let's hope it stays that way and requiring any type of microtransactions is unneeded because we've gone over on this show before microtransactions and how much we have a disdain for it. And I like to see it kept out of the Wolfenstein franchise as much as possible. I'm not happy that they're in there, period. Hopefully when Wolfenstein 3 and the return of BJ Blazkowicz comes around, that they'll decide to go ahead and go back to the way it was when Wolfenstein 1 and 2 were around. And how popular they were because Wolfenstein Youngblood wouldn't be around if Wolfenstein 1 and 2 weren't popular. So let's go ahead and focus in on trying to go ahead and make a great game instead of going where you can nickel and dime every single thing that's going on. And Wolfenstein Youngblood, for the most part, is getting pretty solid reviews, not quite as good as its predecessors. And I think that's just because it's not given the full 100% love and affection that the full $60 games get, but you know what? That's fine as long as it's something that you can go through an adventure without having to go ahead and and resort to paying the microtransactions unless you truly want to. What are your thoughts out there on Wolfenstein Youngblood and its microtransactions? Are you having a tough time without spending extra money on it? Please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk about the major switch that a recent big name has made in the streaming industry and what that will mean long-term for the streaming industry. We're going to talk about that plus the state of esports with Evo coming to town and also Fortnite just having its big events. Where are we at when it comes to the esports industry? We're going to talk about that and more. This is the PCC Multiverse. Get ready for Box Art, a gaming docuseries from Pyre Productions and Rob McCallum Films. If you love video games, chances are there's a box cover or cover image that you love and has stuck with you for decades. In our series, Box Art, we travel across North America to visit with the unknown illustrators and artists responsible for creating the most iconic gaming images of all time. What was once scheduled to be a 90-minute documentary is now a six-episode season packed with unbelievable tales that paint a picture of the gaming industry you've never imagined. Just one of the many pop culture projects from Rob McCallum, Empire Productions. We are back with the PC Multiverse. It's Gerald coming right back at you here. My friend, 
I know you heard the recent news. In fact, we just mentioned it briefly before as we got on the air earlier in the show. A big name in the industry, Ninja, it gets no bigger than him. He recently announced that he is discontinuing his Twitch channel and going ahead and doing all live future events from Mixer. Mixer is the streaming service similar to Twitch that is bought and owned by Microsoft. And it's something that, like we said before, at E3, I think it was E3 2017, if I'm not mistaken, we interviewed the creator of Mixer. He had such high hopes for it, but it's not really taken off since then. Could this be something that could head it in the right direction, my friend? And could this be the big ticket to have everybody move from Twitch over to Mixer? Possibly. I I mean... You would think it's weird because Mixer came onto the scene and they were supposed to be really big, right? We saw the the apps popping up on the Xbox marketplace. They streamed the whole Xbox conference back when we went to E3 in 2015 and it didn't really do so hot. But, you know, they were hoping they pretty much do everything that Twitch does. And that's what they were hoping to kind of fill that gap for Xbox and, and PC players. But if you notice in the last few years, we haven't heard anything about them or really seen much of a presence by them. So it's it's weird to me that all of a sudden Ninja would switch over from Twitch to Mixer. And it, if Mixer has the money to pay somebody like Ninja, who, you know, the whole Twitch YouTube personality thing, I still don't understand. But if Mixer has enough money to pay somebody like him to represent their brand, they're obviously, they've got, they've got some kind of infrastructure and some kind of something up their sleeve that is, is going to be big marketing. So I'm curious how Twitch is going to to stand up to that. And what is Mixer going to offer streamers that Twitch doesn't have? You're right. What is it going to offer? In fact, we're going to need to talk about the fact that it is not going to be on all the different systems. Like for instance, PlayStation 4, I don't think PlayStation 4 is going to go ahead and stream on Mixer anytime soon. No, because PlayStation has always been, you know, identified with, with Twitch or YouTube. Now, My- Nintendo Switch may, if it ever decides to go ahead and you know make itself adaptable to it, I could see them because they have a nice working relationship with Microsoft. But PlayStation, I don't see that happening. Yeah, but you've never heard much. You don't hear much about people streaming things on Switch anyways. So that's, that's something that hasn't really come up yet. But yeah, PlayStation, because Mixer is a Microsoft product. And as we all know, Sony fanboys hate Microsoft. So I don't see them transitioning over anytime soon. You know, no offense to our friend Doug Hoibu, who's a huge PlayStation fan. but You love sticking that in there. You love <laughs> <laughs> But I just, I don't see Sony fanboys moving over to Microsoft, a Microsoft product anytime soon, despite it not being their console. But knowing this... You know, if, if Mixer can get on board with, if they can get all the Xbox players over, then get Nintendo Switch players over, and then they can move people away from streaming through Twitch on their PC, then they might really have something going for them. But my question is, how are they going to do this? What are they going to offer? What is their platform like? Is it simpler than Twitch? What What are they going to do that's going to really get people to move over to their their infrastructure? I'll just explain it from my vantage point because I've streamed very briefly on Mixer and I've streamed on Twitch before. Well, this show has actually been streamed on Twitch before. And are either the easiest way to go? No. 
up until this show, I would have told you to stream every time on Google Hangouts or YouTube or anything like that. But again, these companies try to make it harder and harder for you when they tell you they're trying to make it easier and easier for you. But that's another story. Right now, Twitch seems to be one of the premier ways to go ahead and stream. Mixer is that smaller entity trying to make its way up the ladder, but it will have limitations like we talked about before with PlayStation 4 and whatnot, for instance. But it's still, the point is, as far as what can they offer, it's going to be hard. How is it going to be the case? Because they can't offer you any more money because you're matching Amazon money to Microsoft money. And both of them, as you know, my friend, they're both as far as a relative quantitative cost type issue who can throw out the most cash they both can shell out a ton of cash and the fact is is that ninja might get the brinks truck back loaded up to him and give him all the money to go to mixer it's just going to say you know what somebody that's on mixer and twitch is going to get offered a amazon ton of money to go ahead and twitch it's just we're going to see that seeing a more of a bidding war i think that's what this is going to create and people are going to go ahead like the old days with the consoles go ahead and say, you know what, my game can only come out on PlayStation or my game can only come out on Xbox. We're going to see that even more with the streaming services where YouTube is even going to get involved with the Google money. And you're going to see where, you know, I'm Gerald Glassford. I'm going to be streaming only on YouTube or you, Josh Peterson, you're going to only be streaming on Mixer. And then Jamie or the Monroys, they're going to be going ahead and streaming only on Twitch. I think you're going to see more and more of that upcoming in the future. I think this major decision by Ninja will have ramifications down the road for the streaming industry. Is it going to be good? I don't think so because now people are going to go ahead and say, well, I don't have Mixer. I don't just, I won't even deal with it or I'm not going to go to Mixer. And then there's some, going to be some others saying, you know what? I'm not going to be able to go ahead and catch much Twitch anymore because I'm catching Ninja. I, I think it's just going to create a situation where it's going to fragment the population and it's going to separate the population more. Will it help Mixer short term? Yes. But will it help the streaming industry overall? I don't think so. Well, it's interesting, too, because Microsoft has yet to really put in a huge amount of effort in recruiting people over to their platform. So. Once they'd start doing that, once they put their money into it, I'm curious what it could become. But it also raises another issue. You have all these users who are so comfortable with the Twitch platform and, you know, what what it allows them to do. It's going to be it's it's one thing to be able to secure streamers and bring them over to your platform. But it's a whole other thing is Netflix and Hulu and, uh, you know, these other streaming companies have learned. It's another thing to bring users over to your interface as opposed to the one that they're used to and comfortable with. Funny how we could say that for Google Hangouts and YouTube Live right about now. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that was that was a fun change up. But again, my friend, it is Ninja heading over to Mixer exclusively. It's a big change, and I think in the short term, it will benefit Mixer tremendously. But you know what? I think overall, it's going to be a kind of a bummer for the streaming industry in and of itself, plus also the individuals that will follow it. At a time when the streaming industry needs more and more love to get over to a casual audience because we're still in many ways following as far as gamers are concerned, hardcore, things of that nature, but it still hasn't translated into an everyday viewing experience for the individuals that are out there, casual audiences and things of that nature that 
don't normally follow streaming services. The type of names, the type of people that were getting involved were starting to bring in that type of audience. But with all this fragmentation that could be possibly down the road, and it starts with Ninja going over to Mixer, this could be problematic for the streaming industry as a whole down the road. But again, we'll have to wait and see how it goes. I know there's going to be some stuff that is going down the road with either big names or big events like League of Legends, Fortnite, Evo. They may have to go ahead and decide which one they're going to go ahead and be on, or they might get bribed back up the Brinks truck by Amazon, Google, or Microsoft to go ahead and be exclusive on that type of platform. And that could, again, hurt the streaming industry long term. If you have thoughts out there on the big move by Ninja, to Mixer and the Mixer platform, please share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Are you going to go ahead and follow exclusively on that platform and not watch much Twitch anymore? Or are you going to try and balance it out? Please, you want to hear your thoughts on it. Popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, Popculturecosmos, Humanica Media, and GameSource on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk of esports and the state of esports and our thoughts on it as Evo hits this weekend in Las Vegas. Plus, also as well, some other subjects, including the non going battle, and I said non going, not ongoing battle between NBA 2K and NBA Live. Plus, also our thoughts on former world champion Harley Race and his unfortunate passing coming up right after the break as well. This is the PCC Multiverse. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. All right, and we're back to close out the show. This is the PCC Multiverse. My friend, I'm going to tell you right now, it's just a great time indeed because we got a lot of ways that you can get our show, either the PCC Multiverse or the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you need a listing of where we're at because we're being played all around the world, seven days a week, check out our listings today on the Pop Culture Cosmos Facebook page. You'll actually get a lot of great listings, including our friends at Great Cloud Radio. Want to give them a big hello. Thank you so much for playing us for all these years. We cannot thank you enough. They're an outstanding music station. And also they have a lot of great original programming like ours as well. That's Great Cloud Radio. Plus, we recently got a lot of our shows added to radio.com. So you want to check that out by typing in Pop Culture Cosmos. Both our anchor shows and also our regular Pop Culture Cosmos channels have been added to radio.com. So you want to check that out today at radio.com. My friend... You've got a great thing going on with Congratulations, You Suck. So share one more time why people need to catch your book, Congratulations, You Suck. I've worked really hard on it. It's out in the world. It deals a lot of, with stuff that are is popular in today's media, mental health, heartbreak, things like that. You, know, you can get it today on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, BookLocker.com, and physical and ebook formats. And I'd appreciate you picking it up and letting me know what you think about it. Once again, it is Congratulations, You Suck and is available, again, on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, all major internet book outlets. 
Well, my friend, before we head on out, got a few things to cover, plus also a great song coming up as well from our good friend Emoji Engine. I want to ask you real quick, with Evo in town, the Evo Fighting World Championships, where there's so many great fighting games are going to be decided as far as the best of the best, whether it's Mortal Kombat, whether it's Street Fighter, whether it's Super Smash Brothers, you know the drill, Blaz Blue, the whole nine yards. I want to ask you a question. Where are we at as far as the state of esports? I know you're not a big fan, but we recently had last week Epic and Fortnite, the Fortnite World Championships, recently garnered a, what, I think a 30 million plus prize pool with $3 million going to the winner. The numbers as far as the cash being distributed was insane. But I felt with the declining numbers, although there's still the big boy on campus when it comes to video games right now, and that's Fortnite. I just don't see the type of following that I was hoping to see at this point in time as far as esports is concerned. It's there. It's still a good following, but it's just not quite what I thought it was, especially when you're trying to dish out $30 million in corporate money and sponsorship money and all that type of deal. And I know it's still big money for the big game players out there plus also the streaming stuff that that they have on the side that I know makes them a ton of cash as well. But with that going around, plus as well, Evo is going to be playing it this weekend at the Mandalay Base Event Center as well here in Las Vegas. These are big venues, so you need a big following to go ahead and justify its existence in those platforms. Do you see that type of following when it comes to esports, because I don't as yet, and I know I've talked about in the past with Christian Daniel Zamudio, who is actually competing, and best of luck this weekend to him at Evo, but do you see that type of following yet? I mean, the shows, their appearances on television, ESPN, TNT, all that, to me, it's not generated enough to go ahead and cross over to an audience that I think is deserving of the platforms it's being given. No, and I was actually thinking about this the other day. I'm wondering, like, because, you know, when we were in Vegas, and I was checking out the Hypersports Arena. It's only Fortnite. So, I mean, I to me, I, I think there needs to be more of a variety in these games because there's a lot of uh, niches, right, that have yet to be filled in that kind of thing. You know, we have Mario Kart. We have uh, League of Legends. We have Dota. We have, the, um, you know, there's all kinds of things. World of Warcraft, even. Like, there's all these little niches of esport of people who love video games and you're only hitting one or two platforms, right? You're playing Call of Duty or Fortnite, and those seem to be the big ones. And I just, I'm wondering, you know, if they were to explore more avenues of gaming, would it, would it be bigger? Because it feels like they're pretty stuck on what is a, you know, a game that is bound to lose popularity soon. Exactly. And it has lost some of its popularity. I think the high. The plateau was what you think maybe late fall last year, maybe even to the winter time last year. I think that it is seeing a little bit of a decline. In fact, when the numbers, when it's been reported by various internet and news outlets have said that there is a decline in the number of players currently playing on Fortnite. And that translates into interest in those competitions. We've seen it with Overwatch and the Overwatch League not garnering the same type of love and genuine affection that it once had. The Call of Duty League has not taken off the way I think Activision has hoped it would. Apex Legends, which is also by its very nature involved in an esports type format, that's not really garnering enough attention, even though the game itself has proven to be somewhat of a successful hit for Activision. But I just don't see it yet as far as 
it translating over into the mainstream. And I've always talked about this before. Again, like I said, with our esports expert, Christian Daniel Zamudio, it's not over until it gets over to a mainstream audience. And even with that kind of cash and the sponsorship money and all the money that was involved in the epic Fortnite World Championships last weekend and the interviews that were done by the news outlets, still, I just didn't see it connecting with an audience enough to the point that you could say, you know what? Esports has landed and esports has landed very well. Will it be a change in the future? And will it be something that people can look forward to in the future as far as being an even bigger entity? That's yet to be determined. There could be a game or games or something that could really inspire a lot more enthusiasm into it. If it gets accepted as an Olympic sport, I think that could be a game changer. Sorry, pardon the pun there, but it just could be something that could get a lot of worldwide interest. And esports does have interest in various pockets of the world. You're right. There could be some game out there. And I know you said it best, but there, there has to be individuals and companies out there willing to, like you said, Josh, willing to explore it to get this type of popularity and success that I think esports deserves. Yeah. And, uh, you know, back to the hypersports thing, they're only playing Fortnite, right? They, they, they really well, they do a little bit of Mario Kart and they do a little they, bit of other things on the weekends. They do. But to me, when I went in there, what, what that was, was a place where parents were dropping their kids off while they went and gambled. So it's like they're playing Fortnite, but like there's a huge gaming scene before that, right? There's Goldeneye, there's Halo, there's all kinds of stuff. And we're just, we're not seeing that. And if, if cause I know a lot of people who love Fortnite, but I also know a lot of people who hate it, right? Like dig into Apex Legends, do something that's, that doesn't require, you know, there's different gamers have different skills and not all of them are in Fortnite. So go ahead and explore other facets and other avenues of gaming. And I think the gaming scene could become a lot bigger, whether or not it's big enough to be an Olympic sport. I, I can't say, but you know, for now it doesn't hurt if you're, you know, the, the industry seems to be losing money. So it doesn't hurt at this point to go and try new things to try to bolster that revenue and bolster the interest in it. I want to ask you a quick question before we head on out as far as this part of the conversation. And that is this. I mentioned real quickly that I think it would take something as big or monumental as esports becoming a worldwide global Olympic entity. Do you think that esports will or do you think it deserves at some point in time to be included into the world of the Olympics? That's a hard question because it's not really like a physical sport, but you know, if it gets big enough, who's to say that it shouldn't be like if they were to incorporate motion gaming or something like that, I would be more behind that. But at this juncture, at this point in time, I don't see it really belonging in the Olympics. I think right now it's on the cusp. I think it's not quite there yet. There is professional teams, professional sports. It's, it's almost treated like in professional sports, depending on the game, depending on the league in many ways. And that's great. The attitude and the approach is fine. It's just the execution. There's still something missing. And I think that the, you know, the, the individuals involved, there's not that charismatic figure yet. There's not that, I'm going to use the pro wrestling analogies because we were going to go touch on pro wrestling here in a sec. There's not the Stone Cold Steve Austin. There's not the Rocks. There's not the John Cena's to get over to a larger commercial general audience out there just how wonderful esports can be. There's not that person that has that charisma and connectability yet. And if they do ever find that individual and they go ahead and promote that individual properly, and again, if it does get onto a Olympic platform, 
the sky's the limit, but we'll have to wait and see. But right now you're still seeing some good signs when it concerns the esports industry as a whole. I still think it's not quite where it should be, but there's a long way to go for the esports industry. And we're going to keep tracking it for you right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. And let's hope that someday esports can be thought of in the same context and realm as other sports or other ventures do. Esports is there, and hopefully someday everyone will enjoy it. What are your thoughts out there on esports? Let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Well, before we head on out, a couple more things I want to cover. The NBA 2K 2020 trailer just dropped. It looked tremendous, amazing, lifelike, realistic. And you know there's going to be a lot of microtransactions for that one. But that's that's a bummer. But that's something aside. It still looks great. I cannot wait to go ahead and give it a try. But it's funny, my friend, that there's been a competition for the past few years. But it's almost been like a beatdown because while NBA 2K has soared almost each and every year, NBA Live continues to have problems. When they brought it back, they just really just wanted to go ahead and make something special. But unfortunately, it's been a flop and a failure each and every time, financially and critically. And this year, on the almost the same day that the NBA 2K20 trailer was released, NBA Live said it's delayed until after the start of the NBA season. Well, it's, that's kind of sad if you think about it, because NBA 2K, made by 2K Games, of course. 2K is not a company that has really specialized in making sports games, but they excel at making NBA games because 2K is more of a publisher, right? As opposed to a developer. But, you know, you'd think that somebody like EA, who is specialized in making sports games, would have their act together in terms of making better games. But I feel like EA really only puts focus on Madden series and just kind of lets other games go out without having quality control. So that's where NBA 2K comes in and it really shines. But what are your thoughts on it? If this was a matchup on the court, NBA 2K would be beating it down by at least 40 or 50 points. When Electronic Arts made the decision to go ahead and bring back NBA Live, everybody was saying, all right, that's great. But the execution, the problems with the development studios, the changeover as far as the entity itself, there's been problems almost each and every year. And unfortunately, it's led to an inferior product. At this point, I think Electronic Arts, I think they should just pull the plug. I think they should just give up on it and just say, you know what, NBA 2K, you're the winner, hands down. We're going to go ahead and focus on a better Madden. You know, other things that we can go ahead and excel on because it looks like we will just never get our act together when it concerns NBA Live versus NBA 2K because NBA 2K has been the superior product and looks like it will continue to be so. And I just don't know why they want to go ahead when you have a product that comes out after the start of the actual season it represents, why you want to continue to go ahead and suffer year in, year out at the hands of NBA 2K. What are your thoughts out there on this NBA matchup? Do you still have a love for NBA Live? Do you actually prefer it over NBA 2K? Or are you willing to put up with all the transactions that NBA 2K gives because it is a major source of revenue for 2K? Rest assured, they report it each and every time. That is a big moneymaker for them. Are you still enjoying NBA 2K despite all the microtransactions? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Well, before we head on out, a couple last things I want to check off on you, my friend, and that is this. I want to go ahead and pay our respects as far as Harley Race, a multi-time world champion in the world of professional wrestling, and one of the true greats in the industry. 
Unfortunately, he passed away at the age of 76 this week. So our condolences to his family and also to the pro wrestling sports entertainment world on the passing of Harley Race, who a lot of people would know as the king from the WWE. And you know what? A lot of people will just know him as Harley Race, a true world champion. Well, before we head on out, we've got a song I want to play for you right now. It's our good friend, Emoji Engine. He's back with another great song. This is Fortune. You can find his music on Bandcamp. Just type in E-M-O-G-I-E-N-J-I-N. That's E-M-O-J-I-E-N-J-I-N. Emoji Engine on Bandcamp. And this is Fortune. And this is the PCC Multiverse. And again, that's our good friend Emoji Engine. This song is called Fortune, and you can find it today on Bandcamp.
All right. We talked about a lot of great things. I want to thank you, Josh, for appearing on the show once again. And just so great to have you back and continued success with your awesome book. Congratulations, you suck. For our Monday show, The Pop Culture Cosmos, we'll recap the weekend for Hobbs and Sean if it met expectations. A lot of other great stuff to talk about, including the resurgence of two games thought to be going a little bit on the downhill after some great years of performance, and that's GTA V and Minecraft. Why the turnaround for each? We're going to delve into that and a lot more on the Monday show, The Pop Culture Cosmos. Any last thoughts on the way out, my friend? still want to go over the fall gaming catalog coming up, but we can do that on another show. You know what, my friend? I think we're going to go ahead and have plenty of time, especially with the slate of movies coming out this month. Good thing in pop culture, it can go ahead in so many other different directions, whether it's television, whether it's video games, whether it's board games, whatever that's out there in the world of pop culture. So glad that there's so much to talk about right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos. So for Josh Peterson... This is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the PCC multiverse. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO network. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the TeePublic store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network. Your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. Tangentboundnetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.